There's an old story about actress Lana Turner being discovered in 1937 while she sipped on her Coca-Cola at the Top Hat Cafe on Sunset Boulevard. She became the iconic Hollywood actress of her time. We've all thought about being discovered. After watching hours and hours of Down Under Horsemanship videos, I was certain I'd get a call from Clinton one day asking me to come to the ranch. Never mind that it wasn't based in reality. He couldn't pick me out of a lineup or had no way of knowing what I was doing. Maybe that's what watching hours of video does to you. But getting discovered did kind of happen to today's guest, Andy Johnson. In 2009, he traveled to Stephenville for a three-day clinic. There was a three-day clinic at Clinton's place in um, Texas, and it was the last one he's had, to my knowledge. I went down there for a three-day clinic and was expecting to not get to um, do a bunch of the exercises. I figured I was going to be pretty terrible. By the end of that clinic, he wanted me to offer me a place in his academy. So it was just a, it was a real wow moment, you know, because you're like, whoa. Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses. I'm John Hare. On today's show, we catch up with Andy Johnson. Andy is a talented horseman and trainer. Living now in Missouri with his wife, Chrissy, Andy is traveling the country giving clinics, hosting them at his ranch, and working with riders in all disciplines. I first saw Andy when he was part of the Down Under Horsemanship Walkabout Tour in Fresno. His easygoing style, sense of humor, and hard work ethic is why Clinton asked him to join the team. While he is no longer part of that company, he credits the greater part of his foundation knowledge about horses to Clinton. Today, we get to learn a little more about Andy, his work with horses and their owners, and he even offers a few tips on how you can have a better relationship with your horse. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with horseman Andy Johnson. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses. Hey, let's get right into it. How do you start with a horse? Basically, my first day, I don't want it to be one of the worst days of his life the first time I meet him. So I just want to get him to loosen his hind end up, start softening up to me. I basically have to open a line of communication. And the way I do that is by putting enough pressure on him, asking him a very simple cue, and setting it up to where the answer is very easy for him to find. And I put enough pressure on him for him to start looking for an answer. And then I'm patient and I wait. Uh So I'll start out with a very, very small amount. And as soon as he gets the answer, then I just release, you know, and I open a line of communication to where he's not worrying about me. And the reason he's not worrying about me is because I'm consistent. I ask him the same way every time. I always ask him with the least amount of pressure I can. And then when they give me the answer that I'm looking for, I release and let them know. And that seems to be the most important part of that, from from what I'm hearing, is asking that horse the exact same way every time. That's that's the huge part, John, because if, you, if you're not experienced enough in it, you, you doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. So people give up on their cues. They ask them a certain way that they've seen on a video somewhere. Right. Well, they don't get instant gratification, so then they give up. Well, then they've just confused their horse because they asked him, well, he didn't do what they wanted, and then they took it away. Um, consistent, you ask the same way, either if you're on the ground or in the saddle, 
you have to ask them the same way every time. That way you can release when they do what you want. And That's why it's very important to have a good seat. <laughs> right. Because they, they can feel that. They can feel you moving around in your in that saddle up there. And if you move one way asking for a cue and then move a little bit differently asking for that that same thing, you'll confuse that horse. Yes, because you're asking two different things and expecting the same result. Yeah. So, you know, that's why you have to make sure you ask. I tell people all the time, I'll say, it doesn't matter how you ask them. As long as you ask them the same way every time, they'll figure it out. You know, horses adjust. I I see people where the horses run over the top of them, and I tell people. Because most people that I deal with, they're – they don't just um, have a set of rules. There's not a, they don't ever say no basically to their horses. Right. And um, I tell people, I would rather you be, you know, overly rough. I'm not, I don't, I've, I don't have to be now mm-hmm. because my energy and my timing are where they're supposed to be. So I'm very effective, but I would rather you be too rough and be consistent than be too soft and, you know, discipline every once in a while because horses will adjust. They'll, they see you coming, they'll start ducking if you're too rough with them. You know, they, they tell on you pretty quick. <laughs> and, you know, and as a recreational rider, I find that the most, one of the most difficult concepts to get a hold of is because you've learned your feel and timing by training a whole bunch of horses. Well, you know, I've had three. So uh, yes, sir. it's kind of difficult for me to practice my skills and how does that recreational rider build his skills of feel and timing? You do that, John, by um, having finesse with your movement, expecting a little bit of skill from simple exercises. I always want quality versus, like I say, versus the quantity. When I want a horse to lunge around me, they may be walking a simple circle that's maybe eight foot across, but they're doing it with some with some finesse they've got their ribs bent you know their heads nice and soft they're walking that curve like i would want them to ride you know that same look i want them nice and rounded so you have you know you expect your movement to be good rather than just getting up on your horse and going on a trail ride you hop up on him you throw a leg on and you kick him any way you go right well they didn't learn anything get up on him make him sit there for a minute Ask him to soften up and step off to the left, you know, get him to turn around a little bit. Right. Pay attention to the small things. You know, when you ask him to lunge off, make him rock back and step off to whichever way you're pointing. Don't just let him walk through the center of the circle and depart without any kind of skill at all. You can work on that and, and really get him soft. That's right. the thing, John. You're looking for him to be willing. They should be soft throughout the bottom. That's a good point because I see a lot of people um, want to do some of the the more fancy maneuvers or complicated maneuvers long before they learn, the people learn how to do the basic maneuvers. And it's kind of like trying to do uh, algebra before you've learned basic math. That's perfect, John, because I have a lot of sports analogies. I grew up playing basketball in high school, real good basketball teams. We won seven state championships in a row in high school basketball, and it wasn't because we had all the talent in the world. It was because our coach, we didn't have to think. You know, we knew how to block out. We knew how to do the basic fundamentals. Same thing with horses. When you get a few basic concepts down, I'm the boss in the herd when I go out there. That's the position that I choose. 
I, if you watch horses in a group, I don't lie to them. I don't bluff them. And I'm fair. When I go out there, I get my fundamentals. When I ask you to move away, will you do it? And will you do it without, you know, overreacting? You know, you do that through repetition, consistency, spending time with them. You know, I tell everybody I'm the best parent in the world because I don't have any kids. But I think <laughs> you should be consistent and black and white. Right. You know, and if you're those things and have structure, then they follow that. So you grew up in Missouri. Uh, give us a little bit of background. How did Andy Johnson find his way into the horse world? Well, yes, I grew up on a row crop farm. I did not have horses, but my grandpa did. My grandpa, he was he was a pretty good horseman because um, he had structure. You know, he didn't. He believed in. They had manners. Now he was rougher than we would be now, but he got the job done and the horses were safe. So, but I always went spent the night with him. And in 2004, I started a feedlot. And, um, that was my first chance to actually have horses. A couple of years after that, I, I got my own horses and I um, started training myself. Well, just to give me a, a little bit of background on that feedlot experience. When you went to work for the feedlot, what, what did that entail? A, a lot of people don't even know what happens in a feedlot. Well, what we did was we got feeder calves. We'd buy them from five to 700 pounds, and then we would finish them completely. So we'd mix rations, ride the pens, you know, looking for sick cattle. Uh-huh. And um, when we started out doing it, we didn't, to be honest, John, we, we didn't know what we were doing. I had some buddies who had done it, and um, we did it like your grandpa would or however. You'd whack uh-huh. the cow in the back with a stick and expect the one in the front to move so it <laughs> yeah. didn't make any sense but that's what we did uh-huh. and um i got into low stress cattle handling and it turned into being able to move a cattle with a pin of cattle say there was a hundred in there well it used to take us 10 guys and half the day to where i could walk in the pen by myself and they'd walk out right because it's the same principles as the horse you put a, enough pressure on them to get them to look for an answer when they go the way you want you release the pressure, you know, so it keeps them calm because I was getting on the truck with them when they were going to the slaughterhouse and I didn't want them mad at me because there's no way to go in there, you right. know, so I want them as calm and as relaxed as I could. So that helped with my horse training. That did give me a boost there. And what was your horse expected to do in that feedlot? I mean, I know there's probably a lot of opening and closing and gates and stuff, but how long were you on them? Did you use the same horse? Um, all day long did did you did you have a string of horses then is it stressful you know it wasn't too bad because at the beginning john i wasn't good enough to do it with a horse (laughs) so the horse's job was pretty remedial i would get on them and i would ride around in the cattle Uh you know and then once after a few years and finding clinton and all on tv and doing watching him on rfd I started putting some pieces together. Well, then I thought it was safe enough for me to have another thousand pound animal in there with me. Right. You know, I sorted cattle. I loaded trucks with the horses. We would ride the pens. Once we just, we implied the low stress cattle handling with the horses as well. And it made our job a lot safer. You know, we didn't have anybody get hurt once I started using horses, but when we were doing it on foot, the cattle really got nervous and, um, They'd, they'd hit gates and people would get knocked off gates. So it was a good thing to start using the horses. Very cool. So you started, so you started using those horses in the feedlot, and then and, and then you moved on to getting your own horses or getting more into horses. Well, yes, sir. I started having some success, and I realized real quick that I didn't know anything. 
So um, I was working on a feedlot. You didn't have any time to take a vacation. It's 365 days. But um, there was a three-day clinic at Clinton's place in um, Texas, and it was the last one he's had, to my knowledge. I went down there for a three-day clinic and was expecting to not get to um, do a bunch of the exercises. I figured I was going to be pretty terrible. By the end of that clinic, he wanted me to offer me a place in his academy. So it was just a, it was a real wow moment, you know, because you're like, whoa. So we got that going. I worked for another, oh, six months or so to um, tidy up the feedlot before I went down to his academy. Uh And um, we graduated that in 2012 and met my lovely wife while I was down there because she was in the academy too. Then went from there. But well, I really got um, fortunate when I was down at Clinton's place because I had some horses that um, he said were in the top two or three percent of being crazy. You know, they're just there. There are some that have been, you know, through so much, or that's just w- the way they are. That they're just really difficult. Uh-huh. I had a few of those while I was there, so me and him really worked on those side by side. So I got to learn a lot there, and I also made a connection to where. When I left down under in um after 2012, the lady who ha- happened to have a couple of these crazy horses, yes, I made connections with her and went to Wyoming and worked on her ranch. When I got there, she had a string of about 10 of these horses that were seven to eight years old that were basically her renegade pen. <laughs> I tell you, it was, a, it was a learning experience, John, because I had just been kicked in the knee, oh, so I wow. couldn't bulldog anybody. And I was nursing it for a year, so I had to think. I couldn't bulldog them anymore. Uh-huh. And these guys, you didn't want to bulldog anyway because they'd fall your head down. So you got to learn a lot. And that was a very good thing to, because I, I, I became proficient at Clinton's way of doing things. I could, I could get it done that way. Right. So then I could, start, I could start experimenting with it then. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, you really can't play around too much because you've never had any success. Right. You know, right. so you have to have a little success and then start saying, well, maybe I want to do this because I do stuff. Heck, John, uh, stuff Chris Cox does, I love. You know, there's stuff Ray Hunt, Buck Brannerman. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there was a guy in El Salvador that was long lining a stallion, and I'd watch some stuff he was doing. It's, you know, you can learn from people. Right. But you have to be proficient at one way, I think, before you start just trying to throw things together you kind of have to have an idea of what's going on so you need it you needed that foundation and i think that's what a lot of people don't really take serious consideration about is that you need that foundation of of what the horse behaviors like and it sounds like down under horsemanship gave you that that foundation it was it definitely did because Heck, John, when I went down there, I didn't know if I could, you mm-hmm. know. So you have to, you have to just like, just like with a horse, you have to build the confidence. We start, mm-hmm. I start very small. My expectations are very low the first day or so. It's, you know, turn and look at me. Don't act like a heathen, you know, let's have some manners here. Right. And then we start building on it. But you get the foundation, you start building their confidence, same as with people and their horses. You start building your confidence to where, when I walk in a pen now, there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to work out. We're, the horse is going to learn something. I don't know exactly. You know, I have a pretty good idea or a game plan when I walk in there. I'm either going to try and move your hindquarters, this or that. 
but then he's going to tell me if he's got an issue with this side or that side. And I'm going to go from there because right. you have to, you have to listen to them. They'll, they tell you a lot of stuff if you pay attention. So now the gal, for example, in Wyoming, those, those horses that were crazy, that yeah. horsemen can't spend too great a part of their life on training those types of horses because of just the danger in the lifespan. They, those horses kind of wear you out. So you're not working you're not working with those types of horses now, or are you? Well, I get a, I get a few. Not particularly, because just like you said, yes, when you're on guard basically 100% of the time, it's hard to, you know, trust. And basically, you have to. If you want them to trust and respect you, you've got to trust and respect them first. You're the most intelligent one of the two, so you have to make your changes first. But no, we're... we're um, Doing a lot of horses now that are just, we've got a breeder over here that's got a bunch. We're starting for them. But anybody who has a problem with their horse, I'm the kind of guy, I don't want any horse to get the bad renegade rap. Right. Um, until, you, you know, have definitely proven it. But Do you work in all all disciplines? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're based, um, I'm, I'm more of a Western. My wife is more English, but mm. I'm basically getting people to understand you know we're just trying to get people to um behave get the behaviors they want and understand why the horses do the things they do most people don't don't read their horses they don't pay any attention to them for them to um listen to their language they've got a language it's about 98 percent silent but they do have a language and you just got to listen to them. And when you uh have a, a clinic or a training session how do you how do you explain to the people, uh, the people that you're helping, how to look for those those signs, how to read your horse better? I'm looking for quality of movement. You know, right. let's say I've got a horse in my hand and I'm asking him to yield his hindquarters for the first time. Well, if he's yielding his hindquarters and he's crossing that hind leg up and under every time, but he's panicking and running away from me, and that's a good way to say it. If he's gaining on me, you know, running and leaving me, then he's going too fast. He needs mm-hmm. to follow my energy and not fear, you know, or panic or be too lazy and maybe get gaining on him. You know, he needs to stay the speed I am and follow my energy and relax and move with um, a little bit of finesse and confidence. So do you keep asking that question until he gets there? So if he's if he's going fast, for example, do you keep asking him to yield that hindquarters until he slows down? Yes, sir, I will. Okay. If if the horse is in my hands, I will. If the horse is, if he's not getting worse, if I feel like I can maintain my pressure or maybe even back it off a tick and he will get it, then I will keep doing it. If I feel like it's too much, then I'll just kind of decrease my pressure and get him to step away and then I'll ask him to do it again and get him to step. And then I'll ask it again until he relaxes that way. You know, and, and it's a it's a case by case basis, John. Right. Like, I've got a good game plan when I go in, but if he can't handle that pressure, then I back it off. And that's why it's hard, John, because I say <laughs> to you know do this for a second, and then all of a sudden the horse changes. Well, when he's not scared of you, he's going to get disrespectful. So I may tell you back off, back off. Okay, now whack it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. so it it changes. That's why it's difficult to teach, especially over email. 
you know, it's it's hard to answer questions sometimes if you don't see what's going on. From just listening to your description, one of the things that uh, I heard Ian Francis say that's kind of stuck with me is before you even ask the horse, have a picture in your mind of what you want that horse to do so that when you when he does it, you can release very quickly. Yes, sir. And Ian Francis, uh, there's two things that he says that I remember and think about, but that's that's exactly right, because. If you're asking for something and and you really don't know what it is you're asking for, well, h- how can your horse know? Exactly. You know, so if you don't know what you're asking for, then you you definitely can't you cannot be clear and confident in how you're asking it. And Ian Francis also says horses do two things: what you're causing or what you're allowing. You're either causing it or you're allowing it to happen. So that's pretty black and white. You keep that in mind too. Was there one one horse in your career that you can think back on that you learned the most from? And can you give us a little story about that horse? Well, I I guess it would have to be a horse um, named Sundance, and we were actually going to do a TV show on him. He belonged to the lady, and I specifically asked her. I said, "Now, I don't I want I don't want a kicker, you know, but a bucker or something like that would be good for this." And um, I get him. And this was at a time to where I was still thinking that I was going to break these horses and we do it through a lot of work and a lot of repetition and this and that. And I wasn't paying any attention to what he was telling me. And I was working him this day and I was flapping the stirrup alongside of him, getting him ready for me to ride. Uh-huh. And he had already offered three or four times that day, just kind of baby kicked. He kind of jumped up and cow kicked out a little bit not close enough to me and i just kind of arrogant me ignored it and at the end of that session i was up there flapping the stirrup real big and i popped it and he just jumped up and unloaded and kicked me right in the knee there and it was a year I'd, i nursed it for a year but it start paying attention because he told me you know four or five times that day he's like i'm i'm probably gonna kick you if i get a chance yeah. i was too arrogant and knew that by gosh no, you're going to do this. You won't do kick me. And then he got an opportunity. He said, yes, I will. And it's going to hurt. It, it taught me a lesson though. Then I started paying yeah. attention and I realized this is a 1200 pound animal. Some of those out there were, some of them aren't, you know, 800, but I can't make them do anything. I cannot right. make them do one thing. So I need to make it clear for them what I'm asking and then let them know when they do it right. You know, I do a lot of my groundwork and I tell people, do your groundwork with your hand open. The hand that you've got your lead rope in, do it with it open. Don't pull uh-huh. on them and, and whack on them at the same time. You know, make a suggestion and then start adding to it. But don't, you can't make them do anything. So quit trying. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> now you offer, uh, clinics into in your training program and not only at your ranch but you also travel um, yes, are, sir. um can you describe the clinics wh- how long they are and um, what someone might expect to learn or work with their horse we've got a couple of clinics coming up in maryland and mechanicsville and they're going to be basically what we're talking about i'm going to put a good foundation we're going to get people to start seeing and feeling when it's good, you know, basically. Because people don't know until they have, until they've done it. So I'm going to get them to start getting their horses to soften up and being able to realize it 
when they get it. So it would basically be a foundation type clinic. We had earlier, we had a cult starting clinic here at the ranch for a week long. And it's, it's all basically the same thing though, John, we got to get a good foundation. And I do the same thing at the clinics basically as I do with the horse. We go in there and I've got an outline set up. We're going to work on getting the horse to do things because he understands it, not because he fears it. These might be for people that, uh, you know, their horse is broke and they're they're doing trail riding or sorting or something like that, but maybe don't have as, as good a handle on their horse as they, they think they might should have. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can... We offer clinics for just about anything anybody needs help with. We've had people with show horses that, you know, they're just having a little issue with them. And basically, whatever your needs are, we can probably fulfill it. My main push right now, though, it's the education of the people and getting them the knowledge to where they can apply it. Because like we've said and I've talked about before, um, if I get your horse ready for the show, but you don't know how I did it and you can't apply it, then it's not going to do you any good. So I really want to teach the handlers and the horse owners to be able to apply it and do it themselves because if it's not, then the horse is going to forget. I really love that philosophy. You know, it's, it's anybody can send their horse to a trainer and have that, that trainer do wonderful things to their horse and for their horse. But then when you get back, if you were doing the same things that kind of got the horse sour or or pissy in the first place that horse is going to go right back to where he was if the people haven't changed that's that's the biggest problem that that you run into john i have my horses i don't have trouble with them you know and most of the time when i've got someone else's horse pretty quick after i've got them i don't have issues with them because of the simple fact i don't lie to them when i go out there i'm that boss mare in the herd and when she looks at you and asks you real nicely by pinning her ears to move away from that hay, if you don't, there's going to be something following that. She doesn't bluff. I don't bluff. Right. I don't lie to them about things. I don't bluff. So they act good. You have to have yeah. discipline, and you have to tell them no every once in a while if you want them to be productive and well-rounded. So now I noticed that on your website, Chrissy is a, a CHA certified horse instructor. Is, is it kind of a family affair that you guys do the clinics you bet you you bet you most uh-huh. of the clinics she she does clinics and i do clinics usually on my clinic she's there to help somebody if we need a little bit of extra help with this or that or to demonstrate and yes we we do most of this together we versus here at the place and do clinics together and it's good because it allows us to have more more participants and still get good you know you can only have so many people and give them the amount of attention that you really want to in a clinic so it's good yeah. to have her with me there, too. And are you learning a little bit more about the English world? Oh, you bet. You bet. Because <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm really a field guy, and when I'm riding a horse, if I want his ribs to move and have him back off, then I, I feel through that. Well, then she tells me the fancy yeah. name for it after I do it, and I'm like, well, that's cool, too. <laughs> 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 why why is that that the western guys have a problem relating to the english but the english just they, they just seem to transfer to the western side without any problem at all well i don't i don't know maybe maybe it's i don't know it's easier maybe it's just more natural i don't know i really like yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of english that i really like you know and really respect because i like getting my horses to to move and do things and move with a little class a little flair so 
if they can get their horses to respond to their, you know, cues and feels, that's I'm all for it. Very cool. And you, yeah, and you guys will go anywhere to to do a clinic. You'll, uh, I understand, you've even gone to South America to do a clinic. Yes, sir. We we'll travel anywhere. We've been to from Yosemite, California, to San Salvador, El Salvador, to Mechanicsville, Maryland. So we'll definitely, if you've got a need and and want us to come out there, we'll definitely do it. What did you do in El Salvador? I I can imagine you going down to Spanish-speaking country. You had was it just a general horsemanship clinic? And uh, there's a lady in Yosemite, California, who's big in endurance racing and Tevis Cup and and all the endurance part of it. And um, she had some Asgard Arabians in West Virginia. Well, these guys are in the um, Central American Endurance Federation, and she liked what I do. So she wanted to hook me uh-huh. up with these guys because they had some of these high-powered Arabians. And they were kind of, they're really behind as far as horsemanship down there. They didn't have very much knowledge. So they didn't have anybody to handle mm-hmm. these horses. I met with them in Yosemite and they saw what I did. I started a few colts for them while I was out there. And then they had me come on down to El Salvador to help them with theirs. It was a very good experience. It was a learning experience and always good to go see how other people how they how they how they live their society it's kind of neat and what were those arabians like to work with i've never seen arabians like these these have a lot of russian and polish and background in them and they're big horses big big bone big horses 15 two or three wasn't that odd they're really intelligent but they are a lot of horse <laughs> you don't try and wear an arabian down you better try an open line of communication and get them to think because they can out they can outrun you for sure. <laughs> but but they're very good once you once you get them to understand and get them to trust you, get that communication going. They're they're very intelligent to learn very quickly. Did it take about the same amount of time to earn that trust, or or did you have to work with them a little bit longer? In the beginning, it takes you really take your time. The first three or four days. Really just moving slow and getting them to relax around you and them. Moving when you ask them to, but, but not overreacting. Once uh-huh. once they get that consistency and they, they accept it, then then they're there. But, yeah, I'd say just you might take a couple of days extra, you know, for them to really believe what you're telling them. Kind of as we wind this thing up, I always kind of like to leave my listeners with a tip, a problem that you might see quite often that you see over and over again and then have a solution to that problem that can help uh, just the average kind of recreational horseback rider? Consistency, John, is the the number one issue I would say I see. There's not enough time spent, and the time spent isn't quality and consistent. If I've only got a few minutes, I did just, just the other day, I had some horses that were hard to catch. Well, I went out there, got to where I could walk up to them, and I just practiced walking from one horse to the next horse, to the next horse, just got them solid with that. You know, I was consistent. People give them, give you a treat one day, and then the next day the horse comes up, sticks his nose in your face, and pushes you over. Well, it's okay because you, maybe you're talking to your friends, so you don't want to correct your horse. I always train my horses like there's nobody around. If he does something wrong, it's wrong every time. Consistency would be the number one thing I say. And is there one exercise you see people having a problem with? I'll say, John, a, a very common flaw that I see with people is when they're lunging their horses, 
they get out of uh-huh. position because the horse will start cutting across their circle and they get in on top of them. Well, when the horse gets in on top of you, then it's kind of like a sumo match and he's going to win a sumo wrestling every time because he's too big. Right. So to keep him out of your circle, when I ask a horse to lunge, I stand in front of him and I give my cue whichever direction. And that horse's right. first reaction has to be, he must either rock back and step out to the side, or he must step directly out to the side. No forward motion. And if he does that every uh-huh. time, then he's not going to get on top of you, so you'll be effective because you're in the right position. If you need to see that, it's we've got a video of it on our um, Facebook AJH Unlimited page. So there's a video of that to Sounds show good. you a little more. And so that's a group page on Facebook that you have to you have to look for. Yes, yes, sir. It's a, it's a AJH Unlimited group is what it is. We also have an Andy Johnson Horsemanship page, which you could find, and, and then it would kick you over or allow you to join the other group. So I understand you're going to try one of the Mustang competitions. You've got a Mustang for the um, Mustang Makeover. Is that the one in Virginia? No, this will be the one at um, the horse park in Lexington. Oh, Lexington. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll pick him up. It'll be a five-year-old gelding, and I'll be assigned and I'll pick him up in Ewing, Illinois on the March the 17th. And then I'll have him for a hundred days and we'll take him to Lexington park and show him off. See what we've, what we've accomplished. We're going to have a lot of video footage of that. I'll pretty well document pretty well the whole thing. We'll definitely get all the highlights for sure. I'm sure you've started tons of horses, but this is going to be a a new adventure for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've, I've worked with a few Mustangs. Um, we've, Actually, it was the final exam. Basically, we had a big episode going to come out for the academy, and we went and picked out our own. And I picked out a sure enough wild one. Uh-huh. They're once they get rid of the fear, they they learn real quick, and they're pretty even keel. But as far as the competition part, yes, sir, this would be new. We're going to throw our hat in the ring and see if we can't get it out there. What we do, you know, let people know what we do, and hopefully help some people. This has been uh, great fun, Andy. I love catching up with you and and uh, hearing about your experiences and and that your life's going really well. I I'd seen you uh, the Fresno tour stop. Loved your sense of humor and and your playfulness out there watching you uh, work at the walkabout tour and uh, just as nice that was several years ago for crying out loud and it's good to talk to you again good talking to you too john you'll have to get us out there we'd like to catch up in person sometime that would i'd love that man we'd go riding together i got a couple horses we can take out there you go there you go sounds good thank you very much john i appreciate it thanks andy you have a great day you too bye that'll do it for this show thanks to andy johnson for sharing his time today Find out how you can host a clinic with Andy and check out more tips on his Facebook page, AJH Unlimited. I'll have all the links at wopodcast.com, where I hope you'll stop by. Maybe join our mailing list and check out our other episodes. We have well over 100 now. You can also find a link to our YouTube channel about our life with horses, dogs, cats, cows, and travel. Say, some are helpful, some are silly. Remember, you can subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You'll never miss an episode. If you know someone who you'd like to hear on the show, drop me a line. If you have thoughts on this episode or the show in general, it's easy to contact me. 
Send your comments or suggestions to john at woepodcast.com. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends and writing buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.